Welcome to So You Can Heal. I'm Abby Parker, a licensed mental health counselor and therapist at Still Point Consultants. And I'm Josh. I'm a licensed social worker and a therapist at Still Point Consultants as well. So today, Abby, we are going to be talking about disbelief. Yes, we are. And I hear that you have a story for us to, to start out with. Yeah, as we were talking earlier about disbelief, like the idea or the first thing that came to mind is when Luke Skywalker was on Dagobah and training with Yoda and Yoda had moved Luke Skywalker's X-Wing out of the swamp that he crashed into and Luke told Yoda like I don't believe it like I don't like he couldn't understand how this thing just happened and Yoda told him and that is why you fail Mm -hmm. essentially saying that his lack of belief in the force and himself and everything is why he didn't succeed and I think that is a really poignant point and idea going into our discussion today that our belief or disbelief will impact what we see as possible. And I do have a definition of belief to kind of give everyone context, is that belief is the feeling of being certain that something exists or is true. And then I know it's going to surprise everyone that disbelief then is the feeling of not being able to believe that something is true or real. And so what you're saying, like not being able to believe in yourself or the force or your abilities or whatever it is, it absolutely impacts how and what you do in this world, including Luke Skywalker. And Josh, I have to say, I'm so impressed with your ability to remember what the scene was in that particular part of Star Wars. I should mention that I watched Star Wars like all nine films and then I'll go through all the animated series mm, every month <laughs> at least. Uh, yeah, I, I love Star Wars. So yeah, I watch it quite a bit. <laughs> now, see, if I didn't believe you, I would say things like a likely story. Or, when I see it, I'll believe it. Right. Or, in your dreams. <laughs> I found all these fun idioms to put in our podcast today for disbelief. Yeah. And a lot of those things, like we say every single day about something. Mm-hmm. And I think when they become the most hurtful or when they are towards ourselves. Sure. I mean, they can be extremely hurtful to other people but even more so to how we are relating to ourselves. Yeah. I think a part of belief or disbelief that really interests me is how the neurobiology kind of plays into all of it. Hmm. I mean, our eyes only see a certain spectrum 
from like red to ultraviolet. I mean, like we can't see ultraviolet. Like we are only, or I can't remember this, the actual spectrum. So if you're like a sciencey person and you know this stuff and I'm saying it wrong, like, I'm sorry, but like we can only see from red to purple and back again. Like we can't see beyond that spectrum, but the spectrum is much larger than what we're capable of interpreting with our eyeballs. I mean, in the same way, in the same thing goes for our hearing. Like we're only mm -hmm. able to hear like 20 somethings to another somethings. <laughs> like, I don't know the term. I don't know the measurements, <laughs> but I mean, You're it's not a neurobiologist or an audiologist. No, but I mean, what I do know is that it, it's only a portion of the range of tones that or vibrational frequencies that are available for us to actually hear. I mean, and that kind of goes with other things like perception wise, like we're only, I mean, so, I mean, the two biggest ways that we perceive the world around us are very limited, whether that be our vision or our hearing. So we're only getting a small component or portion of what is actually happening around us. Mm -hmm. And we choose to make a decision about our beliefs or what we don't believe or believe wholeheartedly on a very limited set of data. And that part I find fascinating. Like if you really sit and you just ponder that for a minute, that the wall or the tree or whatever you are currently looking at, there is so much more out there and even within or beyond what you are experiencing in that moment. Right. Because you're that visual or that hearing or even the smell, taste, touch can only take in so much information and it's taking in much more information than you even are cognitively processing. And you only get a snippet of right. all of that that you're taking in. Yeah. I can't remember who it was that I was listening to, but they were talking about like if we were able to actually see the full spectrum of color, the hear the full spectrum of sound, like we would not be able to survive. Like that level of awareness in a being, they would die out like they could not survive. I mean, so I find it also really interesting that we have adapted to become very limited in what we're able to perceive in order to survive. I mean, you would be constantly inundated nonstop with information, and that would be really overwhelming. I mean, our brains mm -hmm. don't stop all uh, as it is. And a large part of it is, I think, because we are constantly receiving information. But how that information is broken down in our brains into what is perceived and what is not perceived. Yeah. I don't know. I just find it super fascinating, but yeah, I don't know if I just made a point there or if I'm just rambling, but either way. <laughs> well, it ties into how that subconscious brain is taking in all of the information in order to filter it through whatever your filters are or whatever the neuropathways that have been developed or patterned in your 
like actual brain matter and how that thing gets channeled into your prefrontal cortex to have the actual cognition or the thought that comes out or the feeling that comes through. I'm sorry, not the feeling, but the emotion, the result of all of that feeling that gets processed in. Right. Like, I think this whole topic just like is mind blowing to me, but at the same time, it's the idea that how I see and hear things may not be the same how someone else sees and hears things. Like that idea is kind of in this moment freaking me out. Like my green may not be your green. Right. Or my hearing of a bell or hearing of whatever may not be how other people hear it. And that is kind of crazy to me to think that like my own, like it literally is my interp my own interpretation of what is happening. And I think that in and of itself can lead to a lot of misunderstanding. Absolutely. It kind of ties back into our conversation where we originally started the podcast with safety and security and stability and how that ties into our survival. Like if I start thinking about all of the differences that we might experience as, as people, then my survival mechanism might tell me that that is threatening. When really, there can be similarities and differences that live together. But my survival brain doesn't like that. Like in my own personal spiritual journey, like I am recognizing that I am far more than just my physical body. Like I, there's more to me than just what we see or to all of us really. And in those moments that I begin to think and feel or entertaining the thought that I am more than just my physical body, then I constantly hear that voice in the back of my head, like people are going to think you're nuts. So yeah, good luck with that. (laughs) (laughs) And then it's the part of like, I keep talking myself out of the reality of who I am. And a part of that is to stay safe because if I don't fit in with everyone else, then that part of us that needs connection or that feeling of connection for safety, it's really scary. I mean, and based on our each one of us, our personal experiences and our stories, like it is dictating to us what we can and what we can't believe, like right. what is possible and what isn't. And the more those stories and experiences have been based in a fear-like sensation translated into a fearful emotion, like we're going to have more anxiety. We're going to be seeking more control. We're going to start limiting the possibilities of things that are actually there, but we won't allow ourselves to see them because, well, A, people are going to think I'm nuts and then I'm not going to have anyone around, or it gets to the point to where based on what we've been taught or told or fill in the blank, like that absolutely isn't possible because if I start entertaining a thought that goes outside of this belief that I already have established, then what do I do with that? And that's 
a cognitive dissonance, but also at the same time mix in a little bit of a existential crisis in the midst of that. Like, we have a, a big, <laughs> a big thing to work through. It is a big thing to work through. I mean, the concept of disbelief or like a different way of considering it is beyond belief. So it's either too bad, too good, too difficult. Like you can't even imagine it being or happening. And all of that, whether it go to the one end of completely disbelieving and dismissing or beyond belief, like it's too much to even believe. It, it is threatening to that sense of safety or security or sameness or whatever that is. And it is, it is a crisis. And the concept of belief, I think, has become very rigid. I mean, I've seen it become rigid in my own life. I've seen it become rigid in other people's lives where there's that seeking of what truth is or what real is. And I do see people go through processes or cycles of searching or trying to make sense of things. Like if you're on a journey and you get to the top of the mountain and you can see the forest, like you know you've gotten to somewhere. You know you're in some place and understanding of what you've experienced or what you believe. And then you look out across the forest and you see the next mountain that you're supposed to get to or that you think you're supposed to get to. And you're like, what? Like I have to go through all of that too? And part of you doesn't even believe that you got to the top of the top of the mountain, let alone that you are seeing another mountain that you're supposed to get to. And what do you do with that? And I think those types of situations happen all the time. Like whether that be one thing happens to our vehicle and then something else happens. So we're constantly seeing something else coming. It's like that other shoes dropping or whatever metaphor we want to throw in there hyperbole but like i feel like our disbelief comes from the idea that we can only manage so much Hmm. which means we have the belief that we can only manage so much right and I mean, to some extent, yes. Sure. Our physical bodies can only do so many things before we get exhausted, we get tired, and all of the things that come along with that. However, I think that there is, I don't know, like the thought that keeps running through my mind is like how, I mean, we're in a predominantly Christian mentality especially where we're at in the bible belt so a lot of like what i've been told growing up when i'm stressed out about seeing that other mountaintop that i have to walk to now after i've just climbed this this one is god will never put anything more on you than what you can handle like so it's always that welcoming the idea that we can manage and handle more but I don't know, like if it's the fear that we won't rise to it or the fear that we will be 
taken under by something. I don't know, like as I'm just kind of processing verbally, like it makes me kind of feel like it's the, it kind of goes back to that lack of belief in who I am as a person and what I can do impacts what I think I am capable of doing after what I, regardless of what I've already done. So it impacts the belief of what you think you're capable of doing, even though you've already done. Yeah. I mean, because like with the kind of imagery that you painted, like I'm already on top of a mountain. Like I haven't looked behind me to see what I've come through. I'm just assuming that whatever is coming is going to be worse than what I've already done. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know I've climbed a mountain already because I'm standing on top of one. But often we lose sight of where we're at and what we've actually done and can only focus on what left there is to do. I remember when I was in middle school, I've been a chunky kid most of my life, and between like my eighth grade year and my well seventh grade-ish summer and like my freshman year of high school I lost like 90 pounds and the thought that constantly rolled around in my head was this quote that I read about this lady who was trying to lose weight and the thing she focused on is the weight she had already lost she never thought about the weight she still had to go. Hmm. And I think that was like a huge shift for me. I mean, because if I take that out, just that principle outside of weight loss in and of itself, but like into life, like I've done these things already to get here. Like that doesn't mean that what the, what lies ahead may not be challenging or difficult, but like I've made it to here. Like, mm-hmm. And I think we don't give ourselves enough credit Mm -hmm. for those things that we've already done. Sure. Because we get so consumed by the idea that we have to do more. Yeah, we're not dead. There's always going to be more. I do think that's interesting, that concept of like taking stock or recognizing where you've been or looking. But it does go back to belief, though of somehow integrating or embodying of what you have been through and what you have done or how you have felt or what you have thought and how that impacts where you are now. And sometimes people don't even believe what they've been through. Because I think in owning where you have been, it will often shift the story we tell about ourselves. And owning where you have been, it often shifts the story we tell ourselves. And I find that in those moments that we don't want to believe where we've been, it's because mm-hmm. we don't want to believe a, how we would uh, name whatever that situation would be. Yeah, I could see that. And if I say that I've been through this, then that means that I'm this. Yeah. And so if there's any naming or recognition, then that means there might be judgment against it. Oh, for sure. And I mean, you could replace the word judgment with shame, disbelief, ridicule, whatever it is. Criticism, yeah. 
like in my personal life, like a story that was really hard for me to even want to recognize is addiction. Like I've been through it. And the hard part about it was labeling myself an addict Mm -hmm. because of the shame, the guilt, the, the stigma that comes with that. And I found the longer I refused to name it, refused to recognize the process that I was either in or going through, the harder it was for me to actually face it. And I think it does make it that much more difficult to face it because Mm -hmm. it stays lurking in the background. Yep. And that's part of that subconscious world that we have. It stays stuck and like it can literally become pain in your body or painful emotionally or like negative thoughts. Those are painful. And Josh, I really appreciate you bringing this up because I think it shows how significant it is to name the things that are hardest to and how they impact our stories. I do find that there are times when naming isn't helpful. In those moments when we will over-identify with a label rather than the actual process. Hmm. And in that case, maybe I would hold off on labeling or naming and actually focus on the actual process until we're at a place where we can, ooh, look what we just did. What was that? That way when we're on the other side of it, it's easier to be like, oh, that was this. It goes into that belief that if this happened, then that is the thing that defines me. I am no more or no less than that is the only thing. Right. And I can never be more. I can never be less. Like, that will be the only thing that I am known as for the rest of my life. And there's so much more to it. Well, yeah. I mean, there's so much that we don't see. There's so much that we don't sense in one way or another. And... In some capacity, our biology is kind of fixed. Younger kids can train their eyes to see better. I know that. Like, research has shown that. I don't know if it's the same thing for hearing, though. But, I mean, so there, in some capacity, like, some of our visual auditory fields are kind of fixed. Like, we can't see into spectrums that we can't naturally see. But I do know from my personal experience that we can sense differently and more if we are willing to try and trust that we can. So I do think that there is a process to allowing ourselves to sense and feel more than what we have previously. And I find that when we are opening ourselves up to a larger perceptive field, then we are welcoming new possibility into our lives so that we can do things differently or act differently, think differently. But I think a lot of it can come from what we feel we're able to perceive. What I'm hearing is that if we are able to be open and curious to shifting our perception that we can see more than what we think we can, then we are standing in that space of possibility 
of, you know, fill in the blank, growth, purpose, passion, prosperity, whatever that desire becomes, or the intention that can be set with that versus believing that you won't, then you don't. Right. Like coming from, again, my own personal spiritual type of space. Like I find that, like I said, the essence of who we are, whether we call that spirit or our soul or energy or whatever, it becomes more dense at our body. That's why we have a physical body. So we stretch beyond it. So like in my own perception, like I'm seeing my physical body as kind of like the hub of all the things energetically that I'm experiencing. And with that, it is natural and normal, regardless of what we want to believe or disbelieve or whatever. Like we're always sensing in the rest of us outside of ourselves, like that overflow, I guess. But that does not always mean that we're recognizing it. And I think that, I guess, just to be clear, like we're always perceiving, Mm -hmm. now whether or not we are acknowledging or admitting or noticing or acting on those perceptive pieces that are kind of coming to us. I mean, in some ways, this could be intuitive. It could be however you internalize that or interpret that, like those it's always there like that can be like this doesn't feel like a good situation i don't really want to be here it could be maybe i should take a different way home today and find out there was an accident on the normal route or i mean that's all those perceptive pieces but a lot of times we're like eh whatever must have been the burrito i just ate so we take it and then relate to work or whatever. Well, and I would even extend it into like a concept of empathy. Like I can imagine for someone, my own experience of sadness and knowing that another person is sad and, you know, being sad with them, which is, or, or being sad for them, which there's different variations of this, of like compassion, empathy, sympathy, But then there's also this other piece that sometimes we can feel a person's sadness or a person's anger, Mm -hmm. like have visceral reactions when someone is experiencing something, whether we are like physically in a room with them or across a telephone or across a video chat or even in two completely different places that can be sensed. I've had to stop myself at times and ask myself, like, am I, am I really sad right now? Like, am I really angry? Am I like, am I really like, is me, my person actually feeling this or am I experiencing someone else's feelings? Right. And I think with that comes an awareness. Absolutely. Or not with that awareness, I think is the precursor to doing that recognizing i mean because often what we'll see is someone else blowing up and like 
if person A is sad and person or mad and person B, regardless of where they're at, feels that, then now person B's mad and they're just acting out their anger too. Mm-hmm. Where if there was some awareness there, they would recognize like like you just said, like, is this mine? Is, am I the one feeling this type of way? And then you're able to shift that perception in some way and act accordingly to what you're actually feeling versus what you're feeling from someone else. Right. And I, and that takes time it does and take work. Time. And because it takes a presence to how you're feeling, it takes an awareness of, is this mine? And if so, where is it living in my body or mm-hmm. in my energetic field? And if it isn't mine, how do I get to a place to where I can acknowledge it, but not have to feel it? Yeah. And I could, I mean, I could go down a whole litany of disbelieving statements about that. Sure. Like, I could believe that people aren't supposed to feel each other that way. I could believe that... I don't have awareness outside of my own literal physical body. I could believe that the sadness I'm feeling is related to something hidden in my subconscious. I could believe that, I don't know, that I shouldn't be sad. And just to put it away and never look at it again. So Josh, I've got some more idioms for you. Mm -hmm. I think they're funny. So another one is like, is she for real? Like, are they for real? Another one, take it with a grain of salt. And the last one I have for you is tell me another one. As if you were telling me an outlandish story and I was, you know, engaging and listening to a fairy tale. So recently I have come to one of my disbeliefs. I always thought I couldn't keep plants alive like I'm I'm just not meant to grow anything I like I kill everything that I touch like that's that's just what I thought because you know you're supposed to take care of plants and water them and put them in the sun and you know change their soil or whatever and so we actually have decided to plant a garden and I am working through my own disbelief that this is going to work that somehow I can have a green thumb And I've had to work with it. Like I might have to get over the idea that if I'm going to go outside in the morning and water plants or take care of soil or check on vegetables, I'm going to be cold. Like the belief is like, I don't like to be cold. I don't want to be cold. Like who would go out in the morning? Who would go outside? Um, And all of these are, are patterns. They're subconscious patterns that, I mean, I, I know these might sound silly, But if you really think about the limitations you put in your life, you'll start to notice them more than not. What I have found for myself is that the more I am willing to embody like my true self, like my true nature and see, feel, know, and connect with myself in myself, myself in ways that I never really thought that I could and working through those limiting beliefs, like it allows me to show up for others 
and show kindness and empathy to another, but really what I'm doing is showing kindness and empathy to myself. Mm-hmm. Because in order to get to to work through that stuff, those limiting beliefs, like I have to be kind to myself, like I can't berate myself and beat the hell out of myself and expect to get past them. Like, right. And then when I am able to engage with another person, they're reaping the benefit of that in some way because I've already done that for myself. So I think the process of engaging and working through limiting beliefs can really change our entire lives, especially how we engage with other people, like in radical ways, because we are engaging ourselves differently. Yeah, I think there absolutely is a direct benefit that if we are gaining that awareness within ourselves, then we're also able to do it relationally. And it benefits the relationship. And we're benefiting the self at the same time. Yeah. Because those same limiting beliefs we have, we usually end up projecting them on to someone else. Yeah. Like if I'm not supposed to do this or I'm supposed to do this, then that means you're supposed to do this or you're not supposed to do this. Yeah. I don't see this as a not of something that is possible. So therefore mm-hmm. it's not possible for you either. Right. I can't tell you how many times I've told someone an idea and they're like, really? You're going to do that? Are you sure about that? Well, what about this? And I'm like, what? I thought that was a really good idea. We are only able to engage with someone within our own limits, our own boundaries and borders. Hmm. And if you are operating outside of those, they will do what they can to pull you into where they're at. Whether that's what we've already named, the blame, shame, criticism, judgment stigma or they completely discredit it yeah which is a part of what i was like the shame criticism yeah and since we are relational beings that can be extremely hurtful especially depending on who it's from right and you can also become more aware of other people's limiting beliefs and see if you're actually going to pick them up and take them on as your own Mm-hmm. I find that a lot of diagnoses, trauma, anxiety, depression, whatever, are, yes, based on our experiences and can impact us mentally, physically, like our sensations, our thoughts, our emotions, and all that stuff. And based on the physical or mental experience that we've had, we create beliefs and those beliefs are borders or walls or whatever. And whatever is in the middle, that's like our safety. It's our nest. And anything outside of that would be chaos. It would be anxiety inducing. It creates more depressive symptoms because, or, triggers or or whatever the case may be because it's not 
safe, kind of going into the safety piece that you're talking about. And I find that our the symptoms, like this, especially the physiological symptoms or the bodily somatic symptoms that we experience when we have a diagnosis like that is when we get close to the borders. Sure. And yeah, I mean, I guess a lot of it, like it's just shifting how I'm seeing like certain things that clients come in with and help. I mean, yes, there is a lot of processing in some cases, but a lot of it is processing. I mean, inevitably processing, how do we let these beliefs go so that we can recognize that there's more to an experience or more to a relationship or more to life than what we've already experienced. And sometimes those experiences are so awful that it is really hard to get to a place where you can see life happening without the expectation that these things are going to happen again. And what I am hearing you call out is how the belief systems get developed in these different diagnoses, whether it be trauma, anxiety, depression, whatever it is, and how that threatens that perception of the world or the perception of self or, you know, the perception of living. And I think that's accurate. And how I tie it in is it's not, we're not just talking about a mind-based understanding because the mind and the body are connected. And so those things, those beliefs, those neuropathways that are literally getting uh, put into the brain is then tied into the body. And then how the body then translates that cellularly, neurologically, um, within your endocrine system, like all of these genetically, like all of these different systems that work together, it shifts and changes how those parts function. Right. Which then even makes it harder to work with the beliefs because the body has transitioned uh-huh. into functioning in that way. Right. And so you do, like, it is a process of healing what has happened in the body and forming those new beliefs, and you want them to work together in order to open up that possibility of being able to experience your body functioning differently in order to see those beliefs or those limiting beliefs shift. Yeah. Or, or how you want to get to the top of the mountain or be able to see yourself moving through to the next mountaintop or recognize how you got through the previous hurdles in order to get to that mountain. Like we talked about, like whether it's looking back or looking forward. Right. Something I hope people can take away from this is how significant belief is to our, our minds and our bodies. And even more significantly, how disbelief or limiting beliefs impacts our capability of healing. Yeah, I think our mindset and our beliefs will and can create disease in the body. And if they can create like the disease, dis-ease, in the body, then they can absolutely create healing too. Mm-hmm. 
I think our thoughts are very powerful. Mm-hmm. And I would even take it like not only the thoughts, but also the concept that you brought earlier, that awareness to what we are perceiving. Mm-hmm. Like having the knowledge that our awareness is limited. We're already starting with a limited intake of what's actually happening around us and how we are engaging with how we see things, how we hear things, how we might sense or like turn those into thoughts and emotions and how that impacts the translation or the perception that comes out. And I don't think that the awareness piece or like, obviously, this is like a lifelong thing. Absolutely. Like you don't just get to be like, okay, I'm aware now. I'm done. (laughs) Everything's better. Well, that's like sitting at the top of the mountain and just kind of like choosing that as like the place where you stop. Yeah. Which some people do. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's a choice. I'm the type that like, ooh, there's more. What, what is it? Let me see. And then I'm like, why did I ask that? (laughs) And then when I'm like a little past it, I'm like, ooh, something new, shiny stuff. Let's go look. And I'm like, dang it. Ooh, look something else. (laughs) So, yeah. But I will admit that like, I find that I do it like in spurts. Like I get really curious and really move through things. And then there are periods of time where I'm like, okay, I need to give myself a break. Like, let me, let me camp for a minute on this mountaintop. And then I'm like, okay, now I'm ready to like begin my journey again. I mean, not that my journey ever stops, but it's more of a, like, how can what I'm gaining and what I've learned and what I'm using, how can I incorporate that in a way in my life to where it is kind of second nature? That way, when I'm going forward again into more understanding and more awareness, it's not, I'm, I'm not feeling constantly bombarded. Like, oh my God, I've got so many things that I need to be doing and trying to work on and thinking about and not thinking about. And so it's me I guess, verbalizing. Since I do it, it's okay for other people too. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, but really there are universal rhythms. There's universal right. cycles. The ebb and flow. Like, the ebb and flow. There's life cycles. There's moon cycles. There's planting cycles. Like there's all types of different rhythms. And it is interesting when people start to figure out what rhythm they're in or have like have that aware and that naming and that knowing that they're in a rhythm or that they're part of like participating in a cycle and how that then impacts them. You, you can make more conscious choice. Right. So Abby, what is the invitation you're giving people today? I would invite our listeners to be open to their perceptions and consider where they have been limiting themselves to what is possible. You stole mine. I guess for me, what my invitation would be is for everyone to recognize that we are more than what we're able to acknowledge. 
we are more than our physicality. We are more than our thoughts. We are more than our feelings, our sensations, our emotions. Like, we are more. And I would invite people into a space to where they are able to explore that for themselves and what that means for them. Mm-hmm. Or how those things connect. Mm-hmm. Josh, thank you for helping us go on this belief journey today. Yeah, thanks. This was fun. And as always, feel free to check out our website at www stillpointshealing.com you can check out our Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest at stillpointhealing and you can always email us here at the podcast with any questions at soyoucanheal at stillpointhealing.com and a invitation to all those listening, please subscribe rate and review our podcast because the more rates and reviews and subscriptions we have, the more present we can be for others to experience the So You Can Heal podcast and begin healing parts of their lives. So you get to be a part of others healing if you would just take a moment and rate and review us and subscribe. And if you already have, many blessings and thanks. And until next time, bye. Bye.